Welcome to the Real Talk Education Podcast, where we dive into the real topics facing real teachers, leaders, and students with your host, Marlena Gross, DEI champion, national ed thought leader, and founder of EduGladiators. Each week, we will discuss the topics that might be keeping you up at night as an educator or parent. This is not an echo chamber podcast. We will unapologetically examine the real challenges in education, plus provide insights and tips to help you navigate all the things, including curriculum, leadership, DEI, student engagement, advocacy, misinformation, and more. Pop in your earbuds or crank up your speaker because it's time to have some real talk about today's topic. Hi friends, this is Marlena Gross, your host for Real Talk Education, and we are continuing our Gladiators theme of unapologetic DEI. And to be quite honest, this episode has been a long time coming for me personally as a black female leader with over 20 years and seven states worth of unique and extensive receipts as a successful educator and leader in K-12 PWIs. But as schools try to intentionally recruit diverse staff and maintain that level of diverse staff and create a culture of inclusivity, much of the actions taken by leaders actually have the opposite effect. In this episode, we are going to break down the steps to actually create psychologically safe and nurturing environments for our school and district staff to show up unapologetically as their full selves and their receipts are valued. So let's jump right in. In the Twitter chat for October 15th, the topic focus was on the leadership aspect of creating inclusive spaces, specifically addressing dominant leadership. And that might be a new term for some of you. That is an extremely important episode because it really goes deep into understanding how the impact of dominant leadership is the first step in creating inclusive environments that diverse teachers want to be a part of. So I'll share a few evidence-based tips today to help mitigate dominant leadership norms and values and practices to help increase connection, belonging, collaboration, and community in your school or district. So let's take a bit of a rewind in the past, and not too far in the past. Since the horrific public murder of George Floyd in the summer of 2020, companies and school districts alike increased their awareness of systemic racism towards Black Americans, and they did very little since that unforgettable event to truly operationalize the DEI pledges and resolutions and even marketing campaigns uh, made in 2020. So DEI initiatives, they simply cannot be a photo op or a viral social media post. Instead, DEI practices have to be ingrained in the culture and practices of an organization to truly create a positive and inclusive work environment. So let's take a look at the impact of dominant leadership on psychological safety. 
One of my favorite books, my favorite new books, because it is a fairly new release, is Leading Below the Surface, How to Build Real and Psychologically Safe Relationships with People Who Are Different from You, written by LaTanya Wilkins. And we do have the link in the show notes so you can grab that book as well. But in the book, Leading Below the Surface, LaTanya actually talks about and defines what dominant leadership is. She says that it is the wildly, widely, if I can get that out right, the widely held acceptance of an effective leader being a white, cisgender, heterosexual male. You know, what's particularly interesting, though, about this belief is that it's actually counterintuitive to the actual profile and research of successful and effective leaders, particularly in education, but also true in corporate. Dominant leadership leaves very little room for diverse voices and leadership styles, much like dominant culture compared to minority culture. Did you know the Harvard Business Review actually completed and recently um, shared a study defining 19 core competencies of effective leadership. And the research explicitly showed that women outperform men in 13 of the 19 core competencies and men only outperformed women one out of 19 of the core competencies. The other five men and women actually scored uh, the same. So in her book, uh, LaTanya Wilkins actually cites that additional research even exists and there is a bit of a vacuum once this particular research came out because in this particular research that she cites, black women leaders, black women leaders in particular, embody emotional intelligence and championing staff and authenticity and resilience more than leaders in any other group. Black women leaders also remove barriers that hinder the workflows and even support of their teams. So what does all that mean? Well, men and women lead differently. We know that. But diverse leaders also lead differently. And that includes our BIPOC leaders. There's research on our LGBTQIA plus leaders and the intersection of BIPOC and LGBTQIA plus with a different gender. So a black woman, right? Or a, um, or even a, a black male or a black gay male, All of those intersectionalities impact how a person leads. So in the Harvard Business Review, white men, even after all of those actual skills were rated, white men were still considered uh, by those in the study, and this also is supported in other studies, uh, the most effective leaders. According to Forbes, white men continue to be overrepresented in school, district, and superintendent leadership positions. And that has only exacerbated uh, since the pandemic. Also, it's problematic that that is the norm or the standard being that the education workforce 
is largely dominated by women, period. So when we think about the organizational values, norms, um, expectations, they overwhelmingly conform to the dominant leadership and they do not align to the values, norms, and expectations of the actual diverse workforce. So when we think about psychological safety, let's define that. Psychological safety is broadly defined as an environment uh, in which a person feels comfortable being their true, authentic selves, and they feel empowered to express themselves. Now, I know leaders usually say the right things publicly about their commitment to DEI and inclusivity and creating a culture of belonging, but it's easy for really anyone, but particularly white male leaders to feel like they're making a change by those declarations and other passive actions, like maybe posting or reposting an article on social media, or maybe uh, posting DEI quotes or best practices. But in actuality, they're not implementing the changes in their organization to help create or to sustain a positive, safe, and truly inclusive and psychologically safe culture. So if you listen to episode two, of Real Talk Education. Uh, The title was DEI Awareness to Action. I referenced the fable and now a DEI book called The Elephant and the Mouse that Laura Liswood wrote. In the actual fable though, when the elephant becomes aware of the mouse, the elephant actually becomes afraid of the mouse because it never had to confront the mouse before. So in the book, The Elephant and the Mouse by Laura Liswood, Laura draws a correlation between leaders being the elephant, becoming intimidated of the people who are different from them. And those people are the mouse, right? Are the mice, I should say. And when that happens, leaders often double down on efforts that either consciously or unconsciously maintain the status quo of their power and or their influence. So this resistance, right? This doubling down of efforts usually shows up in leaders, aka the elephant, engaging in microaggressions or even outright racist and discriminatory actions toward their diverse staff. So in uh, Robin D'Angelo's new book, Nice Racism, and if you haven't picked that book up, the link is also in the show notes. Um, She actually examines how, in her words, progressive white people perpetuate racial harm. Now, her name might sound familiar because uh, hopefully if you're listening, you've read White Fragility, which was her first uh, major book success. And if you haven't, You need to read that one for sure. But in her most recent book that was just released, she talks about how um, white progressives can perpetuate that racial harm. So when we think about the context of psychological safety and uh, in the workplace and include our schools and our districts and what that environment is like, progressive white people usually behave as allies towards underrepresented groups, but According to Robin D'Angelo's extensive work in this particular area, progressive white people are actually behaving as the elephant more so than 
a different color mouse, right? And in her book, she actually confirms how the workplace in particular is just filled with unconscious racism and behavior. And she even shares specific examples, like a page and a half on, um, I believe, page 38. And she shares those behaviors that might present as microaggressions or just, again, just unconscious uh, racism. But there were a few that just resonated with me in particular as as a black uh, education leader. So four that I just want to point out that really resonated were um, are these. Number one, talking over and silencing BIPOC people in meetings. Number two, leaving BIPOC people out of the information loop. Now, this one is super, super difficult to navigate because you only know what you know, right? So if you're in an organization, a large organization, like a school district or even a school, right? Uh, it's important that communication is clear and that people are included. But when you as a BIPOC person are left out of the information loop, particularly if it's in um, in areas that are part of your direct responsibilities, it really, really uh, undermines the relationship between the leader that is leaving you out, whether consciously or in most cases it is unconscious, uh, but the impact is still the same and that diverse staff member. So by leaving that BIPOC person out of the information loop, the leader often is trying to, what will often try to come back and give that diverse staff member, air quotes, constructive feedback, when it's actually feedback that's couched in fragility and even racism. So Remember the elephant and the mouse and what I shared just a few moments ago about that, that fear, that intimidation that often happens. The third thing that Robin D'Angelo points out as an example, a specific example of microaggression and even un, outright and unconscious often racism is the relentless pressure on black people to keep white people comfortable. And that can that can land in different ways. Um, it could be hairstyles, which is getting better um, around that, but hairstyles, uh, speech patterns, aka code switching, um, and other and other different pieces. It's definitely definitely an emotional drain in doing number three there. And then finally, um, the fourth piece out of the out of a pretty extensive list that Robin D'Angelo mentions in her book is gaslighting and over-scrutinization of work. So how do we fix all of those issues and create those psychologically safe environments for our diverse teachers and leaders? Because that's what we're talking about today, creating psychologically psychological safety uh, for our diverse staff. Well, I'm going to share just three tips to get you going. So get out your, your piece of paper or your notes. Um, but the first one is... So when we focus on focusing on the mechanics of bias and microaggressions can often come across as, um, as Sarah Sanford says in her book, Inclusivity Inc., the path of least resistance. And you can actually mitigate and change the environment if you put some things in place 
that actually address directly the mechanics of bias and microaggression. You can't always change the leader, but you can adjust the environment to where um, that type of behavior, especially like what I listed just a second ago from Robin D'Angelo's book, is just simply not not uh, tolerated. The second tip that I have for you is to implement the 30% rule. Now, this rule is very interesting, and this might be the first time that you've heard this piece of research, but no one likes quotas. Quotas are difficult, especially when we're talking about um, representation. I know as a black person, I've always had to navigate the question of, well, did you get in because of affirmative action, because of that quota? But if you really understand and do some research and quotas and representation, most people do not like it, particularly those that are the dominant culture, do not like it until they like it. So in the 1990s, I believe it was, um, there was an extensive uh, experiment, if you will, that occurred in India. And India has literally like just a gazillion people. So it was a great population sample and probably one of the best randomized controlled trials of any kind, but especially around representation. And so um, the government in India uh, declared and uh, directed the, um, the councils and the different cities there, the villages, had to have at least 30% women on their village councils. It did not land well, uh, particularly with men who had primarily been the only ones on their village councils, but the government declared it, and so they um, had to do it. Well, what they found is that for, one, for the ones that did do it to fidelity, the perception of women as being incredible leaders changed. So that 30% was the proven as the critical mass point that's needed in any representation uh, goals that one might have to create a more inclusive and diverse workforce. So 30% is it. And for those that did not do the 30%, then of course they did not see any change and the perceptions, and truly even in the outcomes that the group might have wanted in that village that may not have done that, right? Like they were told to, but they still didn't really do it to fidelity. They did not see the results that they might have wanted and whatever their goals were. So after this happened, Norway actually passed laws for corporate leadership boards to have 40% of uh, women leaders, okay? And this was just about women. But this research has uh, proven and has been repeated that it applies to other identities as well. So not just gender, not just men versus women leadership, but also uh, for different identities like BIPOC, like LGBTQIA+. Okay, so Norway did 40% of corporate leadership on boards had to be women, and they just left it at women, and they yielded the exact same results. And so um, several European countries started doing this and have uh, truly made some huge gains in creating um, more inclusive spaces and closing the leadership uh, gender gap. So for countries that did do this, right, and or organizations that did do this in those countries, it really created a cascading effect and created a talent pipeline because those companies knew they had to get 30%. And 
it would be more helpful to get it from uh, those that were within. So it created um, a pathway for promotion for women that otherwise had not been considered, right? Because that's where that unconscious bias comes in um, and confirmation bias and affirmation bias and all of the things. And so it created a talent pipeline in these companies and um, the women, regardless of any other identities, stayed longer because they saw a pathway that they could succeed where they had not seen that before. So that's huge. Um, Now, in our schools and in America in particular and in our schools and corporate, after, after George Floyd was murdered, many companies hired DEI, um, positions, right? In schools, there were coordinators, uh, maybe a cabinet position, maybe director level, whatever the the hierarchy structure was, and corporations, very similar. And what uh, different research groups have found is that hiring just one person externally is not going to move the needle. That 30% is key. And normally, if only one person especially one person of color it for DEI work in America, it's usually a black woman, right? Like in some weird way, it kind of checks off two boxes, I guess, in, um, in the minds of those that are dominant leaders, but they'll hire a black woman. Everything's great at the front and there's a lot of research on that. And then the shift happens and the shift is so sudden um, and so pervasive that when it happens, it feels like oh my gosh, like, where was I these last uh, few months? Like, why didn't I see this coming if you're the one in that position? And the research shows that within six months to a year that externally hired a person of color, BIPOC person, normally a black woman, left, just drained, right? And so that's something that you really have to consider, which brings me to the third and final tip. Hire an expert to help you analyze and develop a true strategy to create psychologically safe spaces for diverse staff. Um, You know, one of the things that's, and I might have said this before on episode two, but one of the things that is so frustrating is when you, if you are a person of color, particularly black, because we have a long history in our country about um, slate with slavery and, and Jim Crow and all the laws that still are on the books today that, um, target and discriminate against black people. The most frustrating that a white thing, a white person can do is tell a black person how they're supposed to feel or make them try to doubt what they're feeling, um, in a given situation where microaggressions, bias, or discrimination is being called out. Again, I would remind you about the elephant and the mouse, Black people in our country have been the mouse for hundreds of years. And so we have got, we've gotten very, very good at understanding the elephant and the world the elephant lives in. So hire an expert, hire an expert, hire an expert to help you analyze and develop a strategy to create psychologically safe spaces, to help you create a plan for implementing the 30% rule to help you create a strategy that focuses on the mechanics of bias, right? Um, So you can actually change the behavior that's actually happening in your, uh, your school or your district. 
So I do hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Real Talk Education Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and never miss an episode. Uh, We will, uh, beginning next week, we will be releasing our episodes every Tuesday. So you want to subscribe so you can be the first to get that. Um, And we'd also appreciate an awesome review to help spread our mission as Edu Gladiators to have some real talk about the issues, real issues in education that are impacting our students and also help implement tips, learn and implement tips to inspire us to action, to help actually move the needle and operationalize what needs to happen. So um, one one last thing, finally, finally join us on uh, Twitter in the arena every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Central Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, we're continuing to work through our October theme for Edu Gladiators of Unapologetic DEI, but we'd love to have you join in and share your thoughts and really uh, hopefully push your thinking and inspire you to action. Thank you.